and uh, we'll um, I'll open in prayer, and then we'll we'll begin with the few and mighty that we are. <laughs> Father, thank you for the blessing it is to gather with your people, brothers and sisters in Christ, and the freedom that we have to do that, and um, the sun shining this morning. There's so many things to be thankful for. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. We thank you for the law that you've given to us to help us. We ask that you would give us a clear understanding of why it matters still to us as Christians. Pray for your spirit to be working in our Sunday school time and in our service together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're on to question 15. Question 15. Um, but let's look at last week's. Just remind ourselves, did God create us unable to keep his law? No, but because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation has fallen. We're all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature and unable to keep God's law. So that was some kind of a deep conversation we had last week, and we could only skim the surface on some of that. Any questions that came afterwards to your mind of, wait, how does this work? We're born sinners, yet God designed us initially, Adam and Eve, to be able to keep the law. But since Adam and Eve fell, we're now unable to keep the law because of the curse of sin. We're born with that sin nature. We wrestled a little bit with how does that come to us? Does that come through our genes or does that come through Adam representing us? And I say that it's a little bit of both. Does it make sense that way? Any other questions, though, before we jump into our next question? All right. Question 15. So we started with the Ten Commandments, walked all through those, and now we're wrestling with, okay, how does the law of God work? Question 15, since no one can keep the law, then what is its purpose? That we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our savior. So if I had asked you what the purpose of the law was before you saw that up there, what would you have said? Exactly that. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. I should have figured out a way to black the screen out here, but okay. It... All right, Wesley, what is this? Crusoe, what is this? It's a mule. Okay, tell me what you see in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Got the looks going on. But what is the purpose of this? Uh, Crusoe. Oh. He's got his hand up. But to show yourself. Yeah. Yeah. To mm -hmm. see what you look like. Now, Wesley, did you look at one of these this morning before you came? Why would we look into it, Wesley? Why would we, though? All joking aside, what? Why would I need to look at it in the mirror? To maybe make yourself look better. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> 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 
right? To help us see what we look like to get an accurate, because I mean, I, I can kind of see, but I can't see what's going on right here. That's basically what the purpose of the law is. It's to show us, but not an external, right? It's to go deep, to show us what do we look like inside. Remember when we walked through the Ten Commandments, we thought these are like, okay, don't steal. I can do that. But when we probed it a little bit, it's more than just stealing. It's the heart behind all of those, right? It shows us what the heart, our hearts are. Theologians have talked about three functions of the law, and really this question only gets at two. But let's just break them down to help you understand. So the first part of that answer says that we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. So the, whole, the first purpose of the law, why we would still need to have the law of God, is to point us to God. Now, it says to know the holy nature. How does the Ten Commandments, the commandments that Jesus laid out for us, the parts of the Old Testament law that seem to be relevant to us, how do those show us the nature of God? How does that show us what God is like? In the Old Testament? Well, really, any, any law that's given in the, in the Old or New Testament, how does that show us? Because the answer says that the law helps us know the holy nature and will of God. How is it that these laws, these rules, commands in the Bible show us the nature of God? Mm-hmm. And then, um, if you cross those, then I've told you this. You know, kind of like I've told you this, but you, you know. Yeah, kind of like they do his, definitely do that. Yeah, kind of like his boundaries or his expectations. Yeah. Let me, let me ask the question a little bit differently. Um, what's the fifth commandment? Obey. Obey. Right? Remember, obey your parents. Is that law to obey your parents a law that exists outside of God himself? Like gravity is a law, right? And there are some physical laws that we see in how our world operates. Is there God? And then he says, and, and then there are these laws that just exist. Is that, or is it that the laws reveal the mind? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it tells us what he likes, what he doesn't like. It tells us what he likes and what he doesn't like. The law is, it's not like these laws exist some kind of in, in, in theory and, and God knows those laws and says, those are the laws you have to obey. They don't exist outside of himself. They reveal this is the way he is and what he thinks and what he wants. 
Think about it. When Moses went up on the mountain, is it like all of a sudden God opened up the cracks and found this this hidden treasure trove of things written down? No, God spoke to him and said, this is what I think. This is how I made this world. This is how you will work best. So in other words, anytime we read anything from here, it's showing us what God thinks, what God wants, what God is like. That's super important. Why is that super important? So that we can know God. So we can know him. He, he did not create us to, to just stumble around in the darkness. He wants us to know who he is. To be able to fellowship with him. That was the idea for Adam and Eve and it broke down, didn't it? So, it, the, the sentence says in your, in your answer there, so the reason the first purpose of the law is that we know the holy nature and will of God. We get that. But the second part of it is it shows us our sinful nature, the disobedience of our hearts. Do you see how those two go together? How do those two go together? Right? Like if you're looking at who God is like, what does it do right here? <laughs> you're like, wait, wait, wait. I'm not like that. Right? And you, you see God's law. When we walk through those Ten Commandments, we saw, oh, man, I thought I was a pretty good person because <laughs> I've not committed adultery, I've not stolen, right? Maybe we think those things, but then when we probed, like, oh, shoot, I'm guilty probably of all Ten Commandments in some way or another, and often. So the purpose of the law is to show us God, but when I see God... I see myself too, because I, I think like in, I'm always thinking in reference to myself in life. We're, we're always thinking like comparing, contrasting in our brain in order to understand where I'm at, what's going on. When I look at God, I'm going to automatically think about him in light of myself. I can't think about myself. I can't think about anything without thinking about it in somehow reference to myself. Philosophers tried to do that. <laughs> Immanuel Kant tried to, to, to remove all recognition of himself. And he finally got down to the point where he says, I think, therefore I am. He realized I, in order to even comprehend and wait, that must mean I exist. So when I think about God, I automatically think about myself in relation to him. And so what does the law do when it shows us who God is? I see, oh boy, I, there's a vast chasm of how different I am than him, right? So that's what the law does. The law shows us who he is, what he wants, what he likes. And then automatically our conscience says, whoa, I'm not like that, right? So that, that's why the, the law can show us who he is and who we are. And then it says, thus our need of a savior, because we see that gap, right? We see that giant gap. Here's what God's like. Here's what I'm like. I need a helper. I need a rescuer because I'm not there. That's what the whole point of the law is for a Christian and for a non-Christian, right? Why would it be the same point for a non-Christian? It, it's no different. 
right? They, they know, they see it, and they're like, oof. But there's an issue, because then they don't want, they, they think that they can cross that gap. They think, like, how are we going to fix that gap? So, okay, that's the first function of the law. Second function of the law is not in the question, but I wanted to bring it up, because I think it's important. And I think the reason the authors of our catechism didn't include it in here, because it's a little controversial. So, why do I, that's weird. The second function of the law is to restrain evil in this world. Now, our country was set up by men who I would say most were actually not Christians. Now, I know that's controversial for me to even say that. You may be like, wait, 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 Paul. No. <laughs> most of them thought highly of the Bible, went to church very regularly, but if you read their writings, there's not a lot of, about Jesus. They're very, very religious. But here's what's interesting. They at least saw the value in the ethics of the Bible. Now, that I'm not saying that none of them were Christians. Some were. We know that. But the whole point was is that when they did set up the law, they used this as one, just one of their main sources of understanding how should we set up the laws of our land. Now, we do need to be honest, because I don't think a lot of people in conservative circles are very honest. They used other things besides this, too. <laughs> but here's what's interesting is the laws that they Developed and even laws that are developed by countries that aren't thinking about the Bible are developing those laws based on what they know their conscience tells them. And to some extent, most of those laws adhere, kind of come out of this law of God. You don't steal, right? <laughs> those kinds of things. Those are, and that is, we're going to see in a second, based from Scripture, God says, he put that in so that we can that evil can be restrained. And we see what happens when you pull out the law. How does it look? Think Minneapolis 2020 in the summer. Right? Think about all these places where they're pulling the law out. They're restraining the police's control. Evil then spreads. So you can clearly see the second purpose of the law. Now, I say it's controversial because... Uh, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> Some people disagree that that's really one of the purposes of God's law is to actually inform how law should be made in the land. I don't see why it's dis you should disagree about it. It's pretty obvious to me. But Third purpose, though, this is getting back at our question. It says at the end of it, you look at your hand out there, the law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. In other words, it helps us. So I'm already a Christian. I know that God is holy and I am not. And I know that Jesus died for me and he obeyed the law perfectly. The question then for a Christian comes, so now what do I do with the law? Since Jesus obeyed it all, does that mean I get to go and do whatever I want? No. In fact, Paul answers that question in Romans. He says, by no means, right? The law still helps us on an ongoing basis to see God, who he is, what I'm not like, and that I need a savior. But if Jesus obeyed the law, doesn't that mean he thinks the law is good? And then I should also, if I want to know how to please God, 
Well, there you go. He's helped us. So it really helps us figure out life. And it's, we don't just toss out the law of God. So where do we get this from? Let me just show you a few verses of where we get this from. So for the first function, to show us God and ourselves and sin or need for a Savior, Paul in Romans three nineteen through 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being is justified in his sight. We could go on a long time on that. (laughs) What that means is is you could try to do the law, but you're never going to be justified in God's eyes because you're not, as we've seen in our previous, we're unable to keep it. But here's what's interesting. Since the law, through the law comes knowledge of sin. If it wasn't for the law of God kind of written on our conscience, I really wouldn't know what it means to sin. So God put us, put it right within us. He even says in Romans 2, that is written on our hearts. I'm born with this awareness of God's law. And what does it do to me? It helps me know that I'm a sinner, <laughs> which means I know I need a savior because I, I'm not content with that. The second part, the civil function of the law to restrain evil, the, Romans 13, one through four, and this passages was misused for the last two years by a lot of people, I think. Um, I'm not going to go there, but let's just read this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So stop there for a second. Paul's writing to who? The trick is look at the name of the book. Romans, which means people where? In Rome. Okay? Who was the leaders in Rome? Caesar. Did they love Jesus? No. (laughs) Did their laws, um, were they like all good laws? No. But Paul's saying something here about secular authorities that if they're doing what God has told them to do, and that's the key part that's been missed in the last two years, if they're doing what they're told to do by God, this is what will happen. It will constrain, restrain evil. Therefore, uh, I'm in the middle of the verse here. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The point here is when, and Paul's saying that when governors, authorities are doing the right thing, they restrain evil. Now, you could go, like it was said, well, that means we always obey the authorities. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying when authorities are doing the right thing, it restrains evil. Okay, that's where we get from the Bible, that second purpose of the law, to restrain evil. The third function about how to live our lives 
I'm just going to give you three verses, but there's all kinds of verses that help us see the point of God's law still for a Christian is to help us live a life. And this is interesting because before eternity, it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think we think immediately of good works as like doing nice things, helping old people across the street, (laughs) handing out a bottle of water. That's not the only kind of good works here God's intending, Paul's talking about. He's talking about obeying God, doing what he says. And that's what you're made for, to walk in them. After you've come to know Christ, that's the whole point, is to continue to live a life so that God is pleased. Now, we can't earn his salvation. This is a response to our salvation, right? We do these things not to have favor from God on us. It's not because I don't obey these in order for God to accept me. It's more like I'm doing it because he's accepted me. He has accepted me. Therefore, I want to give myself to him. I, I, uh, my friend, he's sportsy. I'm not. So, Jeff, if you're ever listening to this, this is from you. <laughs> his illustration. He talks about, you know, dad throwing a football to his son. Son's running to catch it. Gets it. It's a great catch. And the look that the son has when he looks at the father is, did you see that, dad? I caught it. That's what, why we obey the law. Why we want to do that? Because we want dad to be pleased. Right? I'm his son, though. If I drop the ball, dad's not going to say, you're not. You're out of family. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not like that. It's, I'm, I've got this relationship, but I'm trying to do what I can to please the father. Because I love the father. The father has done this for me. Right? That's why. Matthew 28, 20, this is implied in the Great Commission here. Jesus, at the very end, right before he leaves, says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And look at this. He wants you to obey the law as a Christian, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And there's this whole thing, okay, well, which of the Old Testament laws am I supposed to obey? Uh, Matt, Pastor Matt on Wednesday was reading through the um, chapters. I think it's in Leviticus or Numbers where it starts talking about how to handle bodily waste. <laughs> and he's like, I don't think I've got a lot for my devotions to share with you today. <laughs> like, there's this whole wrestling of, okay, which of these laws do we have to follow, right? And that's kind of tough. And, and that's a really, like, I have multiple books on my shelf that work through that tough question. And frankly, it seems like it could be really simplified, to Jesus echoed things from the Old Testament. And I think those things you see him reiterate and that the, the letters to the, the, from Paul and Peter and James, those guys, that you can see them reiterating things from the Old Testament. I think that helps us see right away, okay, that clearly the stuff that Christians should... And you don't see, um, you can't wear two colors in your shirt. You can't have those threads mixed. You can't have cheeseburgers. You don't see that in, in the New Testament. So I think that really kind of helped it to make it really simple. If you're looking at the New Testament and you see echoes of the Old Testament laws, well, there you go. Those are the ones you definitely have to do. <laughs> now, there are branches of, and this came up in Galatians, 
There are branches that say you must be circumcised. And Paul went after that really hard and said, no. In fact, that is against the gospel of grace. So anyway, that could be a long conversation right there. The point was Jesus, at the end of his ministry on earth, says, obey the law that I've given you. And then finally, um, John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? Okay, so that's, that's really where we're basing this question from. I wanted to save time for the why does it matter a little bit more today, because there's some interesting questions from this. So let me give you the first question. How does this truth impact how Matt and I should preach sermons? Should I preach God's law from the Old Testament? Should I even be preaching? If, if, if the gospel's all grace, how should I preach to Christians and non-Christians as it relates to the law? What should I say? I'm not going to answer it. I have some answers, but... Uh, <laughs> like... Pastor Matt goes, he's going through the book of Luke. I'm going through Joshua. I'm going to be Joshua 8 today. What if I was going through Leviticus? Should I skip going through Leviticus as a Christian pastor? Okay. Kathy's like, no. So why not? It's his words. Okay. It's his word, and so it's part of history. Okay. And, you know, how do we know where we are if we don't know where we came from? Okay. Yep. So, um, yeah. So that's a good start. I think that's huge. Like that's, I don't think that's all the answer, but I think that's a huge part to know the history of where we've come from, right? We have to have that. What else? Well, you said the point is God. Okay. This, the Old Testament laws in Leviticus about parapets on your roof and yeah. all of that stuff still reveals God's nature. What is he like? What is he not like? Yes. Yes. So when I go to the Old Testament, even though... It sounded a little silly when Matt said, I don't want to talk about the bodily waste things this afternoon or this evening. There's value in that. There is something. It's, those are tough passages. <laughs> like, okay, how does that point us to God? Well, it does. It really does. And, and so all of, the, all of it will point us to God in some way by showing us what he thinks. Um, or... Like some of those laws that are really strange, there's one that says don't boil a, a young goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> and Kathy's like, what? Are you kidding? And, and then there's famous ones like don't, and I think in some of the translation even says don't tattoo, and people have really gotten hung up on that. It's really talking about cutting yourself. Like don't be cutting yourself. And, and people automatically go to cutters and that, that is an interesting connection there, but it's missing the point. One of the ways God shows his people, Israel, what his mind is about things is giving them laws that stand in contrast to what the countries, the people around them did. So there were apparently Canaanites, Hittites, whatever the peoples around them, the pagans that were boiling a young goat in a mother's milk for idol- idolatrous ritualistic purposes. And God simply says, don't do that, not because there's anything wrong with goat cooked in milk, but that there's something connected. I want you to be different and separate from these, these people that are worshiping false gods. So that's a big part of sometimes the Old Testament laws that are weird. 
for us, it's to contrast. Even how they set up camp and yeah. which direction and all that. I mean, that was all significant. Oh, yeah. And even now, I, I, you know, it's, it's just like all scripture. Who was it written to? Mm-hmm. Why did that matter to them? Now cross that bridge to where we are today. Yeah. There may be things, I mean, there's, there's things that we deal with, that we will have to deal with and are dealing with today that they didn't have to deal with back then. So how does what was right for them, what God wanted from them then, how does that apply to us today? And it can be personal conviction. Yes. It may be the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to be different here yes. now. Yes. Because, and, and that's being attentive to the Holy Spirit. But yeah, I mean, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's very important. And to see just how God was protecting his people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like, I I have this conversation with the kids. It's been really nice having a baby in the house and a young person in the house. Because, you know, there's things that we don't let them do or, and we don't even explain it. Mm -hmm. We just say no. And because they're not ready to understand why. And so... A lot of times we have that contrast then with the young kids where we're like, you know, why do we tell uh, Luca not to climb high things? Mm-hmm. Does he understand why? No, he doesn't at all. But we know we're trying to protect him. Right. And and so, I mean, all of scripture is in that same. Absolutely. Line. How you handle your waste and yeah. all that stuff is to protect them from getting sick. Right. And to protect each other, the community, all those things. Mm-hmm. God's mind, it helps us see God's mind. So this old Puritan named Charles Simeon said in in response to this question, like how does it impact preaching? He says, lift up your voices in talking about what to say to the unbelievers in your congregation. He's saying to pastors, lift up your voices like trumpets and tell the people their transgressions that you may glorify more your honored master in proclaiming the infinite riches and fullness of his great salvation. In other words, preach to people to help them see sin and the gloriousness of Christ. And then he says to to those who believe, he says, preach the law to those who believe as finished, canceled, and dead for their salvation. Point them to Emmanuel as holding it in his bleeding hand and saying to them, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm. It's good stuff right there. Um, second question here. Oh, I had it up there if you could have read along with me. Too bad. Sorry. <laughs> um, how do I know if the law is actually helping me to understand my heart? So kids... I, Wesley and Crusoe, Isa, I said one of the purposes of God's law is to help me see. Okay, and Ava too. <laughs> I left Ava out. <laughs> if one of the purposes of God's law is to show us our heart, how do I know if the law is actually helping me to understand my heart? How would I know if it's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing? When do you hear the? Go ahead, Crusoe. Sometimes the spirit can help you. Yes. Exactly. So, and when do you hear, when do you know the law? Like, when do you hear it? When, if the law, like, what, at what opportunities do you know about God's law? I mean, you may, the Spirit may bring it to your mind, but like this morning, I'll help you out. We're hearing the law. Every time you hear preaching, you're hearing the law. 
when you open the Bible, you're hearing the law, right? Reading it. How do I know if it's doing its job and helping me understand my heart? So it helps us understand our heart by showing us what we're like, right? Our sin. If, and this is for all of us adults, if when I hear God's law, I don't feel an ouch. If I don't, now maybe I'm doing well in a certain area, but in, on, if I never feel any conviction about what I'm doing and it's wrong, then the law is not doing something to my heart. And it's not the fault of the law of God. It's me not submitting to the Spirit. It's interesting, Crusoe, that you went right to the Spirit, because that's what the Spirit's job is in your heart, is to help you. He does a lot of things. He assures us, convicts us. One of them is convicting us. He helps me see my heart. And if the law is not helping me understand my heart, the problem's not with the law. It's not with the Spirit. It's with me. What kinds of things might I be doing that would make me not hear the Spirit, not feel any kind of anything when I hear, don't be selfish? Or, because that one always gets me. Philippians 2, to to not be selfish, I can never escape that because I've always been selfish and I can't. (laughs) I'm working on it by God's grace. What kinds of things might be stopping me from hearing that and i open this up to everybody how do we ignore it like what are doing whatever i want to do yeah it doesn't change your pattern it doesn't change your, yeah. if you don't if you hear the law and you don't apply it and let that guide your decisions how you make decisions mm-hmm. you know you're ignoring the law right what are some practical things we got to do to make sure we have that Eating is what we have to do. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the word from the mouth of God. You're implying that I have to be in the Bible. I got to be in the Bible. I mean, I've got so many other voices around me in this world. This has got to be the loudest voice. If I even make it balanced, okay, I hear as much of the news, I hear as much as my friends as I do of the word. It's going to be always, <laughs> it's always going to be dr- trying to drown it out. Now, the spirit screams real loud sometimes. Okay, next question. Uh, it was right there. Why do non-Christians describe the Bible as all rules and regulations and call God a Grinch? <laughs> they, they don't, no. <laughs> right? Right? And what do they think if they don't have rules? They think they're free, right? What's, what's kind of messed up about that? 
they're furthest from. They've got those chains so tight, wrapped so tight. They're not, you're not free. That's what's interesting about the law and Christ fulfilling it and Christ taking us in is that he breaks those chains and now you're free to do the law because you find joy in doing that. It's so different. Than, so that's such a different way of thinking. And it can't be as simple as somebody just some, making a decision to follow Jesus. That's got to have to have, in order for your brain to think so differently, it means God's got to step in and do something to you. Right? Now, I'm not saying we don't respond to that call, but I'm saying that, wow, we need Jesus. We need the Spirit to change our hearts. Even as believers, I constantly need Him to change me. It's called sanctify me to, so that my thinking continues to get more and more like Christ and less and less like the mess that I am. Right? One couple more. Kind of, and these two relate together here. So, the first, take the first one. How does the law relate to the gospel? I've already said it. Maybe try to summarize it. You've got law and gospel. Law tells us what to do. God, law tells us who God is like. God, the law tells us what we're not like. So, how does the law then relate to the gospel? Do I need to obey the law? Is that what the good news is? The gospel means good news? Does, does, does gospel mean that I must obey law in order to be, to be saved? Say no, please. <laughs> Grace means no. But does that mean I throw away the law? No. No, you have to have them together. The good news makes no sense unless you've had the law. Right? The good news makes no sense because it just seems like an add-on to my life. If the good news is Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, if that's all it is, well, there's a lot of people out there that have a wonderful plan for my life. <laughs> but the law shows me God, shows me my need for a Savior. The gospel's the good news to that. It's the, the remedy, right? So next question then, how does that affect our evangelism? When you tell others about Jesus, is it, he's so great, you've got to come t- taste him. That's part of it. That's one way, but that can't be the all of it because they're going to be like, eh, no, 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 not so sure. Because of that other question, like, they think, they don't like the laws. <laughs> if we're not careful with our evangelism, we'll turn it into, now you need to do good things. Now you need to do good things in order for God to be happy with you. Mm-hmm. And we turn it into moralist, the, theistic moralism, theistic moralism. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it is a tricky balancing act because I know I worked at the Christian bookstore when the mall was thriving in the 90s. And we had all kinds of people come in. And I, the mall was still dead in the middle of the week. And there would be people who just come in and just chat and hang out. And I got to hear all kinds of stories. And I heard some pretty awful stories about even some of the churches that I was connected to growing up that evangelism was cut your hair, you hippie. Because God wants you cleaned up. It was law. And, and they rejected. And Christ had done something, though, because they, they were coming in and it was good. But you can go wrong and put all on the law, and the law is needed for your salvation. But then we also see this other swing. 
There's no law. It's just Jesus loves you and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Without understanding the law, that makes no sense because Dr. Phil loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Dr. Oz has a wonderful plan for my life. Oprah's got a wonderful plan for my life. Which is it? And Joe Osteen's got a wonderful plan for my best life right now, right? So you've got to have them together. And, and I'm not saying in your, when you're talking with others about Jesus that you're going to always get it right every time and fully balanced. We don't. We mess it up. I mean, that's the constant. That's, that's why we need each other, right? Yes. I mean, that's, yeah. what, we, that's what we do. And we learn and we grow and, and, we, and we call each other to keep our eyes on Jesus. Right. Um, I, same thing with the parental thing. I, I usually come back to that very thing is that God wants us to have the best life that we can have, right? Yeah, he and does. So he spells it out. He says, these are the things you follow, not these things. And if you follow these things, it's not that your life is going to be perfect. It's that this is your best opportunity. If you live by the Spirit and do what the Spirit yeah. calls you to do, that's the best. That's your your the best tool, the best backpack you can carry through your life is having these tools and, yes. and Him and growing in Him in those things, so that when all these things come up that are going to come up in your life, you can deal with them the way that God wants you to deal with them. Absolutely. That's fantastic. We're a little over time. I'm going to close in prayer because I think that was a great answer to the why else it doesn't matter thing, Jeff. Father, thank you that you have given us um, your law. shows us who you are, your mind, and who we are, and how you want us to, to live. We thank you so much for Jesus because he obeyed it all, canceled that debt that was written against us, and loves us enough to be patient and continue to shape us. Help us to see the value of your word in all of its glories for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.